Season 2 of the Strange, Rare, and Peculiar podcast, a place to learn more about homeopathy, deepening your knowledge, expanding your universe of possibility in the world of health and well-being through homeopathy. Homeo what? Homeo what? Good afternoon. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> and, <laughs> Good evening. You know what? Actually, it's appropriate that you're, <laughs> that we're starting it this way because it is 8.10 p.m. on the east coast of the United States, but it is... 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Where, where we, we are... Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Because we're in New Zealand. Because we're in New Zealand and we're upside down and it's just kind of wampus. It's amazing. But it's good. It's so good. We've got the door open and the cool air is blowing through the spring air. The spring air. And um, we have a view from where we're staying of Lake Wanaka. An amazing view. Oh, and the mountains, snow-capped mountains in the background. Uh Uh-huh. It's gorgeous. Springtime down south. Two-hour hike today and came back to talk to you all. Absolutely. Because, well, it's time. It's time. And uh, like we always do, we had a couple of topics planned. We've got two topics that we've promised. One of them, um, I just I need to go through my notes before we do, and that's going to be about Benninghausen mm-hmm. and his resurgence. And then we're going to talk about totality a little bit. That's going to be another one. But for today, you know, we were having a conversation on our walk today. And <laughs> why are you laughing? Because we had many conversations on we our did, walk We did, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. And we took some videos. Mm. Actually, can we just discuss something before we get started? Because <laughs> I'm having this really good coffee in a rental cup. So there are so many things that I love about New Zealand, but it's such a, an amazingly eco-friendly place. Right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I have my favorite spots in this, in this town where we get to come um, for visits with Alistair's family. And the first thing I do when we get here is, well, like I do in many places, is scour the joint for where's the juice bar, where's all the hippie stuff that I need to keep this old body going. And one of the places that I like is actually, it's, um, it's called the Big Fig, and it's, um, it's a really great like healthy food joint. And you get your coffee, if you don't have your own cup, you get a rental cup. For four New Zealand dollars that you get back when you return. What about the top? It's rubber. You you have to have the top with it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what do no. You think? Well, I don't know because um, see, I'm intrigued about this echo thing because it's surrounded by cardboard. Right. Now that will break down. I use cardboard yeah. on my compost. Right, and it breaks down quickly. But see, this if we just had this mm-hmm. cup, it's stainless steel. It would be hot. It's too hot to hold. So they have to put one of these cozies. You can take your cozy back when you get a refill. Anyway, that's neither here, here nor there. Neither here nor there. Nope. Title of a good book. But um, uh, Bill Bryson, I reckon. Neither here nor there. Oh, I'm sure it's been done. Mm. It's kind of too obvious, don't you think? So um, I uh, am... Dying to hear what you've got to say because, as <laughs> usual, we decide to do something, and then at the very last minute, you decide 
well, no, let's do something else. Well, it's not quite... And that's, it's fine because I can roll with it, but I am intrigued. You are generous. I, I, am, I am nothing <laughs> but if that. not generous. Yeah. Um, the reason that I thought to change is that I was going through to pull out my um, notes that I had on totality, and I just sat down and I started reading the preface and introduction to the organon. There you go. Just to get in the mood. So um, let's do a poll. Hands up. Who's read the preface to the organon before? Oh, really? <laughs> That's not a lot. I would suggest that there are more hands up than you think, especially if there are students where we're constantly telling them, or at least I am, read the preface, read the translator's notes, read all of that. That's where you get the story. That's where it lives. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the best part. And so I just needed to like... Well, at least it's not the introduction because the introduction is just an, an absolute rant. A ridiculous rant. Oh, please, be nice. I am nice. It's a ridiculous rant. It's, it is... Uh, un- ridiculous? Unintelligible uh, ranting. But the preface is something else. Okay, so lead, lead, lead us ranting. Off. Well, the first thing that really struck me was that he talks about how... And this really got me... Okay, wait, actually, let me go back. What really struck me and what made me say, let's just talk about this, um, is that if you just judged it up a little bit and, and changed the language to be sort of ex- easily accessible to a 21st century reader... I rest my case. No, no, no. It's actually not that... It's not that... Um, I don't want to say dense. It's not that impenetrable. Mm. Right? That's a good word. Yeah, I don't think so. But, but um, if you just judged up the language to make it more contemporary, you know, throw in a dude here and a, you know, whatever, you, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, could be, it could have been written today. <laughs> so dude, and whatever. Whatever. And what, give me some other words um, to, to judge it up. Um, well, I don't know. I mean... This is, this is what happens. We traveled for 32 hours straight yesterday. I Can was, I say that, that yeah. what I would put in there? Yeah. Is you know how um, um, millennials, yeah. they text like. Yeah, the word like in, yeah. Actually within text. Sure. Yeah. As That's some amazing. Millenn- some millennials, they go to AHE. <laughs> some. Some write like in uh, their essays. Some that <laughs> came out of my actual body. <laughs> Not AHE students, I mean, but my own children. Yes. When they When I get a text that has the word like in it more than once, mm. that doesn't mean I like you or, yeah, yeah. you know, as compared to, mm. it just. I was like down at the lake today. Yeah. I yeah. was like down at the lake and uh-huh. like it was hot or whatever. <laughs> or whatever, right? Okay. So oh. I got to this thing though where Hahnemann says that allopathy, and, and let's forget about his time because Honestly, you can put in some of the, you know, we all talk about old calomel, you know, which is a, if you're not familiar, familiar, it's a mercury, it's a, it's a preparation of mercury that was widely um, uh, used topically Um, and arsenic and, you know, other sort of harmful things and all the purgatives and whatnot, right? You know, things that make you throw up. So we can look at that and say, oh, you know, but think about the treatments that are in use today. Um, you know, something like chemotherapy. I mean, we can have a lot of conversations about, you know, how sometimes you do have to, 
you know, steal from Peter to pay Paul. I mean, sometimes you do need to have a major intervention in order to prolong life. So I want to I want to be clear that what I'm not I'm not making a judgment about the ways in which these, you know, certain treatments that we would see as being really, you know, uh what's the word like well, not it's what? Like Oh. <laughs> got me. Um I'm thinking about the like um, um something that's really debilitating, yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are treatments that are all of that, or looking at something like an immunosuppressant, right? Or, you know, I have a client right now that had a sudden onset of a very incredibly debilitating neurological, degenerative neurological condition. She went from being fully, you know, functional and whole and really, really healthy to being, um, needing a walker and, you know, came to homeopathy in three months, in three months, right? In three months time. And I mean, and it was, it was bad. And um, came to homeopathy when her symptoms were really, really set in. So, you know, when we were talking about her options, one of the options was a was a steroid, um, uh, a particular intervention using high dose steroids intermittently for a short period of time. And I actually suggested she do it. Yeah. So for me, but, yeah, some context for this topic because yeah. about I'd say six minutes ago you said take totality. Yeah. And then you've now been on seven, might be eight different strands of distraction? No, I haven't. So, I'm, so I'm, <laughs> I have my hands on my hips right now, like, no, I have not. <laughs> so start it, start. Hang on, I'm getting to the point of what he says. Uh, okay. All right. Do you remember yesterday <laughs> when you were talking about we're having to modify... One of our research proposals. No, it was actually this morning we were having yeah. coffee. Mm-hmm. And I interrupted you, and mm-hmm. you said, oh, no, I lost it. Oh, uh, yeah, because I can't stand being interrupted. <laughs> I rest my case. All right, okay, anyway. off you go. So what, but the thing is that when I was saying about how Hahnemann, you know, he comes to this place where he's, um, he's trying to point out that the system doesn't work, sort of as a whole. And what I found so compelling is that he talks the about... The medical system. The medical system of, of his, his time, age. Okay, got of it. Of his age. And he, he talks about false authority, treatment justifications based on prejudice and false authority. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking about how right now, you know, we get you know, homeopaths are sometimes considered, homeopathy is sometimes considered the modality of last resort, isn't it? People come to us after they've tried everything. They've been poked and prodded and, you know, given all sorts of medicines. And they're in, you know, a bit of a broken down energetic state when they arrive. And we've got to do some heavy lifting, right? And and the thing is that a lot of the time they'll say to us that their doctor doesn't know what else to do. And and I realized, and I, and I think... You know, I see this a lot in my practice because I mostly deal with autoimmunity or I deal with, I mean, a large chunk of the complicated cases that come across my desk are of, are about, you know, various types of autoimmunity and the medical establishment for all of its trying, the major thing that they're able to do is shut down the immune system. Like that's the win. That's the big win, mm. which even most, you know, really good docs are going to acknowledge it's not, it's not necessarily the best option. Yeah, but it's mm. the best they have. And I think Hahnemann is sort of saying this exactly, but 
But there's this underlying sort of political message that really struck me, which is this idea that if you are in a position of authority, you can get away with so much more. I know I'm stating the obvious. I know there are people who are sitting there going, duh, Denise, right? But, but just think about this, because as homeopaths, we are held, we must be held to a higher standard, because we have to get past the, there's nothing in your medicine, or you people are all a bunch of quacks and nuts, and to, in ways that other modalities don't have to. That's kind of, it just really hit me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, maybe there are people who think about that a lot of the time. I mean, we certainly talk about that when issues come up around if one homeopath gets in trouble, we all get in trouble. Whereas how many, you know, idiopathic atrocities are occurring in the medical world where people say, yeah, I mean, unless there's gross negligence, you know, yeah, medical misadventure is it is normalized. Yeah. And yet an adverse reaction in homeopathy is, you know, stop the traffic. Exactly. Your hair's on fire. Right. Uh, I wonder, if, but it can only be that way. I mean, when I know that we're a 230-year-old, 40-year-old medical modality, mm-hmm. whole healing system, and yet... Um, the, the, you know, from a contemporary point of view, we are pushing to get in. We are pushing, knocking on the door. Yeah, still. So therefore, you know, we've got to, we've got to provide kinds of the kinds of answers to legitimate questions that are being asked of us. Yes, I don't have a problem with that. No, which is where I'm headed. Oh, really? Yeah, but just a couple more things because the language in this. Now, granted, I'm using Wenda O'Reilly's translation because we use her sixth edition of the Organon. In, our, in the classroom setting because she's got her preface. I'm sorry, not her preface. She's got her glossary and the way that the footnotes have been rewritten and the way that the chapters are. It's really helpful for students. And so um, for that, and because I really like Wenda, I, you know, I like to use this as my example. But listen to some of this language. Um, uh, for vast centuries, this calamitous art has firmly possessed the privilege and power to dispose of the life and death of patients arbitrarily and at its own discretion. Now, I think that we could get in a lot of trouble for suggesting the last part, but I think it's interesting that Hahnemann was looking at sort of the way in which privilege and power and authority Mm. can be louder than misdeeds. You know, if that isn't something that is a conversation that's being had in the 21st century, I don't know what is, you know? Um, And then he says... um, that in that time, it has shortened the natural lifespan of probably 10 times the number of people the most, the most ruinous wars ever had, and it has rendered many millions of patients sicker and more miserable than they originally were. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I listen to the medicine commercials that are rampant in America, those... I mean, they are extraordinary. Right? And all oh. of those side effects that are listed, you know, and then they go back to singing the song, you know, the little blue pill, that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> it's just like, it's crazy. Um, when at Thanksgiving, um, we do our Thanksgiving on the day after. So we do our Friday giving. Um, so I, actually, I like that because I never really thought about it. It's also an avoidance of Black Friday. <laughs> the commercialism of the holiday season. Anyway, but um, we were having a conversation while we were cooking. One of, I, I believe it was with one of my kids, and we were talking about the business model of um, that 
what is that one where they have the erectile dysfunction pills and then they follow it up with like the high blood pressure pills and the antidepressants, right? Well, they need to come together because they're all related. They're all related. Mm. It's crazy, isn't it? And so I think when, you know, when Hahnemann, even though we can see this in a way as a polemic, we can also understand that from the beginning of time, there has been a way in which the attempts, and I think really good-hearted attempts at meta, at finding ways to help people. I mean, you know, I think most of us will agree that most people that go into medicine, into allopathic medicine, are doing it not because they think that they're going to be, you know, faking people into thinking they get better, but really to help. I think we have to acknowledge that, you know? All of them. Yeah. I mean... There'd be a, a very, very small percentage that are making a business decision about exactly. augmentation and making lots of money out of plastic surgery or something like that. Yeah. But that would be an that is an absolute right? minority. And so imagine, because what Hahnemann is saying is there's a way in which when something has, when an industry or an idea has so much power that it's almost like you become blind to anything in the periphery that isn't working. And we see this so much with, you know, docs that come to study homeopathy with us after realizing that the medicine that they've been using is, is only helpful to an extent. Now, and I'm going to, I always give a caveat because, you know, antibiotics saved my life just a year and a half ago. I have a friend whose kid had a brain tumor that after some pretty awful interventions, he is you know, five years, no evidence of disease, and is doing beautifully well. And so I think that we have to always balance sort of the new, you know, the ways in which some of the technology and some of the interventions can be helpful, right, with the fact that it's not altogether a system of medicine that is working to help people get better. And this takes me to the point, because when we were walking today, you said, let's talk about sort of the power of nature and universal laws, right? And so that got me thinking about Hahnemann in the footnote to Aphorism 1, where he's talking about, quote, so-called systems of medicine. And and pretty much his sort of retorts about allopathic medicine have to do with the fact that homeopathy is based on universal laws, which is irrefutable and unchangeable, regardless of how science and how... um, inventions and innovations and discoveries are. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's the link that I wanted to make. Hmm. Yeah. And and so and in the preface, after talking about the false authority, right, which basically he's saying false authority in allopathy lends credence despite evidence and outcomes, right? Because I think if we were looking at it from a research standpoint, you know, that example that I was giving about the conversation about all those those sort of new um, online medical, you know, online pharmacy things like hymns and Roman and all that stuff that are pointed toward, you know, one pathology. Inherently, when you start taking a medicine, the need for another medicine follows and follows and follows. So therefore, in, in a system of medicine that's highly specialized, outcomes, data, isn't going to include something that squishes out the side when you suppress one set of symptoms. In other words, you could say that Rogaine is good for hair growth, you know, off-label use of what's basically a hypertension medicine, I think, mm-hmm. isn't it? Is good. So your hair may grow, which may then be a positive outcome, 
But then are they looking at, you know, the broad array of other symptoms that might come up in three, six, 12, or even 24 months? I mean, are there longitudinal studies across the board, right? No. No. No, that's left for public health folks uh, in poorly run or poorly funded right. um, research offices to, um, you know, to, uh, to mend the, the damage that's been done 20, 30 you know, years previously. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is cynical, but I mean, that's exactly what goes on. There does not need to be a longitudinal study, a cohort study that follows, say, a group of men that have right. uh, had, or, uh, you know, had hair treatment or whatever um, over a, a period of time. Right. I mean, that is not required to then make claims about that product right. and sell it. So, you know, that's the, the, the piece... Just to clar- for me, I think it requires real clarification that the piece of um, uh, um, the practice of medicine, yeah. which is so um, mistrusted, yeah, and um, is the pharmaceutical core, yeah, is the pharmaceutical industry, not. As you said before, some right. of those amazing surgical techniques, some yep. of the extraordinary and useful things that are happening with ophthalmology and, you know, just the, the range of surgical procedures and amazing use of technology yep. to augment and, and improve people's health. And the humans, the healers. Right. You know? it, it is the treatment of chronic disease and the drug therapeutic uh, treatment, which is so poorly done with such consequences Right. That are ignored. And it's funny It's because it, 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 it seems to be, you know, I mean, I can hear you talk about Hahnemann like this and just, you know, say, yeah, okay, Sam, I mean, got yeah. it. Um, and he's writing about this in... Well, that's the thing. This was this is you know eighteen thirty three to eighteen forty two. But in a, any era, there's there's always it's, a there's always the, see medicine medicine works for most people. Kind of. I'm gonna say there we are. There's my yeah. Your caveat. Yeah, it doesn't work for the five or ten percent at e- either end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, and I think uh, we're probably at a situation now when it comes to the treatment of chronic disease that the that broadly medicine, so we're generalising, and there's, uh, I mean, I actually am coming from some um, um, research perspective on this, that it's probably not working now for up to twenty five percent of the po- of a population. Mm-hmm. Now when the system or the authority, what did, what's the word you used? The um, uh, false authority. The privilege. Well, false authority. False he's authority. Talking about the privilege. Yeah, but when the false authority is not working for such a large demographic, that's the only reason. That is the only explanation as to why um, folks within a conventional sample of of life and living are looking for alternatives. Exactly. Are looking for complementaries. But it's interesting because I think on my watch over, the, over say, 30 or 40 years that um, we're heading back to complement... Uh, we're heading back to alternative. Yes. I, now, I, I've well, only got anecdotal evidence for that, but I think that there's... In, with, with the client base that we have, that we're getting, I think there's an. I mean, I've basically looked at those intake forms that we've got, and especially to those questions, how important is it for you to get off your medications? Right. 
the the answer is overwhelmingly yeah. strong. It's not like oh, I'm happy to be complementary alongside of my orthodox allopathic right. conventional Western medication and do a little bit of homeopathy. It's no, I want I want this. I want you. Now that's different, and it's different to what the naturopaths are saying, and it's different to what the integrative medicine folks are saying, and all of the research. Which, Wait, how so? What well, are, because because the main thrust of say the naturopathic profession right. is absolutely to augment and complement. Right. Do you think that that has to do with their sort of attempt for sort of parity in legal status in the practice of medicine? Mm, well, there's that side of it, and I suppose there's needed to have been some compromises yeah. in that regard. But they don't have the plausibility challenge that we do. Right. And so, therefore, it's easy to describe naturopathic or easier to describe say naturopathic medicine or this intervention in western um, uh, um, you know using a western paradigm using the language of western medicine it's not it's right. not it's not 10 steps it's only five steps actually and you can make it into three steps because well if you do functional medicine then you make it into two two i yeah. mean that's biomedicine on steroids but i'm bump that's so naughty. I just made myself laugh. Yeah, you did. Sorry. Maybe somebody else will be laughing with me. Yeah. Um, so this is, you're, you're taking the track, uh, like, it's like I've got salami here and I'm pulling you toward me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I said the magic word. Um, and so what I was thinking about, right, is Hahnemann is saying, y'all are following a system that's not actually a system. And it's built on false premises, but he says, you know, this is from the time of Hippocrates forward. There was an attempt to make this, right? And so it, it was interesting because what, what struck me was there are a few perspectives. One is that, you know, I, I'm sort of coming off of having um, delivered that talk in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. Mm. What is that? A week and a half ago now. Mm. And it's been on my mind because there's a part of that, the, the talk that I gave, which some of you might have heard at the Joint American Homeopathy Conference last year, and I think I'm doing it a similar thing at our benefit in January. And it's about this idea that Hahnemann sits at this really interesting time in the evolution of science as we know it. Yeah, And so he sits at the juncture of Hippocratic medicine and biomedicine. So... Hahnemann lived through the end of Hippocratic ideals, the idea of a person in harmony with their environment, right? The four elements idea, the temperaments idea, the idea of the constitution. That all, that is all of how we talked about or how medicine was spoken about at that time, right? Okay. I'll then, and so Hahnemann comes on the scene and in the way that they talk about it in the sort of allopathic history of medicine or the muggle history of medicine, the sort of stated historiography of medicine is the turn of the 19th century was this quest, the Enlightenment quest, to find a system of medicine that would do, a system that would do for medicine what physics did for science. Yeah. Right? Which I find really interesting because, of course, you know, who would have delivered that information about physics would have been Newton, who has been completely mis or completely, he has been largely misappropriated 
right? Because he was an alchemist above all else. So he was following along that thread looking for the universal laws, which include medicine, yeah? Hahnemann comes on the scene, and he's pulling that. He's saying, I've got a system based on universal laws, okay? Now, he's saying that, and it's because I want to go back to this preface again. Um, he says that, that quote that I was reading before about um, the privilege and power, right? Okay, so the end of that, he says, after he tells all about allopathy, he says, now I shall only present its exact opposite, the true medical art, which I discovered and which is now somewhat more perfected, right? So there are a couple things to think about here. One is always remembering Hahnemann's fidelity to the laws of nature. To the system is anchored in truth, capital T, truth, Right? Also interesting is the way that he says somewhat more perfected. That is a straight up alchemical term. The perfection of form is an alchemical term. And he uses this a number of times. And I, and I always try to find out, and I, I guess I need to find out and be really, really clear the word that it's being translated from to make sure that I'm not applying a false equivalency to it. Well, it's interesting because when I hear you say that, I'm... I my interpretation of that is that he's saying, you know, I've done my best and there's probably corners that totally are not quite right, but fundamentally here it is. That's that's how I would read that. But you're saying it means something else. It means some well, it can mean something very important. And you know, in this work that I've been doing, it's breadcrumbs. It's searching for the breadcrumbs. Where are the where are the little breadcrumbs of language, mm. right, that are potentially speaking to what Hahnemann was actually working on. So anyway, this idea of homeopathy as a system, yeah, Hahnemann is coming at it from this direction of saying, I'm working with the laws of nature, going back pre-Hippocratic, you know, going all the way back ancient times. This is, this is what is real and what is true. And when you stay within what is real and what is true, you can't help but be right or moving things in a positive direction. And he says, allopathy is the opposite. The way I would translate it is the tail wagging the dog. He, in Wenda's translation, she says the, um, uh, what is it, the treatment vasin. Yeah. So in other words, it is based on the, the whole idea of how a therapeutic intervention works that you back out of, as opposed to this system, this idea that should transcend everything. Do you know what I'm saying? Does no, that make sense? No, no. So in, you know, in the organon, what Hahnemann is doing is probably, I don't know the percentage, two-thirds is saying it's not this. <laughs> you know, he's, homeopathy is this, homeopathy is not that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always harder to change someone's mind because they've got preconceived notions. You've got to get over that hump, right? Which is why he's always saying, this is what you think medicine is, that's allopathic, we do it differently. Okay. And what he's, the subtext, not even subtext, the text, the context of his message is everything that we do in homeopathy is based on universal law. Mm -hmm. Everything that is happening is in allopathy came together through the treatment itself. So you find a treatment and you try to attach it to a, to a system. You try to fit it into something. Okay. And he takes it one step forward because he, he says oh. that, what? I said Huh. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. And then he says, you know, basically that it's arbitrary, 
that there isn't an actual system that fits together. It's based on discoveries and it's constantly changing, right? So it doesn't have an anchor. And, and he says, you know, basically that it fancied itself to be scientific, which again, you know, it, it begs the question about what is science. And I think, you know, the way that I started this discussion today was about language and how we can take Hahnemann, give him a few likes and, you know, amazings and all of that and put him into a 20, make it sound 21st century. And the message is exactly the same as what we're finding in the system, right? Well, he's saying, that, you know, here again is another language bit about being scientific, that these people back in his time fancied themselves to be scientific. In other words, they were cutting edge. And what he was saying is they're saying that they remove the cause, right? That was, you know, that's what happened right up around Hahnemann's death and then long after was this whole idea of trying to find the focal point of disease, right? It was an ideological basis of disease. That's what biomedicine came to. How do you find it and then kill it, right? And so he's saying that this cause removal, it, it's made up. It's just, it's made up out of, you know, fluff because disease is dynamic. Therefore, what are you going to find? Anything that you find that is of a material basis, it can't be helpful because it will naturally have gone through a transformative process because you're finding it after some, you know, sort of negative consequence to the anatomy and physiology has happened. Right? Does that make sense? It does. You don't have anything else to say about it? No, I'm chewing on it. This is a podcast, though. It gets really boring if you don't talk. <laughs> Your input is really important. No, I'm um, hearing you say that for the first time. Really? Mm. The first time? Yeah. Say it back to me. Tell me what you think. Say it in your words, because I'm curious what you've heard then. Well, I'm a little jet-lagged. <laughs> Please. Come on. No, I, I, I um, love what you were just saying about making observations, um, making um, uh, clinical decisions, seeing some things work, and then attaching a theory to it. Right. I've not heard that said before. Because there's a piece of that that's empiricism. Like, it works because I've seen it work. Right, but it's mostly rational. Right. It's mostly rational. That's what's interesting. I think that I think we just gave everyone sort of um, a pass to not have to read Harris Coulter's four-volume set of bricks on the history of medicine, reimagined through the lens of you know if homeopaths had been the winners, <laughs> right? Because he's he's rethinking oh, rational tough. medicine. Yeah, I, I dog my way through it. Did you? Yeah, not all of it. I mean, I would die halfway through each chapter and then I'd have to be revived once again. Anyway, so there can I can we have one small little topic and I think then we'll 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 end a little early today because you clearly need a nap. The other thing is going back through the introduction again. I, it never gets old, this organon. But he talks about how uh, first of all, this sentence kind of threw me um, as long as humanity has existed, people have been exposed individually or collectively to illnesses from, you ready, physical or moral causes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll just leave that. 
Why leave it? Okay, let's talk about it. Well, I mean, it seems kind of obvious that your decisions um, impact on what you do and what you get. But, yeah, totally. And leading up to that part, I mean, you know, diseases were you made the gods angry. I mean, we can agree on all that. Yeah. But but further to that, I mean, how I guess the part that I was like, are we going to if we're going to open that door is this idea of sort of morality involved with disease and energetic or dynamic disease becomes a really interesting thing to look at because you then have to start looking at the question of miasma, right? Because Hahnemann understood infectious disease before we had a term beyond miasma, right? Bad air and the acquisition of a miasmatic disease, right? And what we would, what he would then say, a morbific agent, we would now say, I got a germ, I caught a bug, Mm -hmm. I got a virus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. But when you take that and you have to, you add into it, you know, individual or collective diseases, illnesses from physical or moral causes. If you look at a collective disease like an epidemic, and then you add in a moral cause, you know, I mean, that sort of that kind of harkens to the God is punishing us sort of idea. I mean, and I guess you you know then add in like what he says in what is is it in aphorism one hundred or one hundred one? I think it's one hundred where he talks about meteoric and telluric. Right, so uh, earth and you know heavenly implications for or not implications influences on yeah you know disease, but I, I don't see that as necessarily such a dramatic uh, statement. I mean, if you're talking about the recent pandemic and looking for you know you're looking at it through various lenses, and if you're looking at say some psychological or energetic lens, you can just see that you know we are a planet out of balance. Well, for sure. And to knock off, you know, however many million folks got it, 677 million people got COVID and whatever percentage of that, you know, perished. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I mean, there's, I don't know, it's not too large a step to talk about overpopulation, morality, um, and, um, and, you know, everything Mm -hmm. in between. Well, he goes on to say then, um, I think this is so interesting, in the raw state of nature, few means of aid were needed since the simple way of life admitted but few diseases. Hmm. With civilization, however, the occasions for falling ill and the need for help against diseases grew in equal measure. From then on, soon after Hippocrates, therefore for two and a half thousand years, people have occupied themselves with the treatment of ever more self-multiplying diseases. In puzzling out how to help using intellect and presumptions, they allowed themselves to be seduced by their vanity. Countless differing views about the nature of diseases and their, red, and their redress sprang from so many different heads. They called their theoretical hatchings systems or contra- constructs, each of which contradicted the others and itself. Each of these subtle portrayals sent the reader in, initially into a stupefied amazement on account of the incomprehensible wisdom contained within it. <laughs> anyway, it goes on and on. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because... He's basically saying, with all of these systems that have sprung forth from Hippocrates onward, with all the different theories and ideas, then they, none of them was in harmony, and I'm quoting here, none of them, however, was in harmony with nature and experience, right? Going back to Hahnemann's idea was... I, I, I mean, I love it and I find it difficult. Can, can I tell you why I love it? Yeah. The easy part is because to me that is just such a, a, a good, clear, honest statement about 
my own health. My own health is always better when I've had some air to breathe, when I've had some water to drink, when I've had a good night's sleep, when the nutrition that I've put in my body has been okay, and when those components of life are attended to. You know, there's rest, there's exertion, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Right. Sounds like, you know, natural medicine or naturopathy or, you know, it just sounds like good, clear, functional living. But with the complexities of civilization and its growth... Well, then you look right. around and you say, okay, well, here we are in the mountains and it's beautiful and the cyclists are out and isn't that lovely? And I posted an Instagram video... Mm on a trail in New Zealand that went up into God knows where they go. Yeah. And, and you can see it. it. You know what I mean? It's like we're surrounded by a whole new set, a whole new confluence of things. You know, like, what's the consequence? On, could Hahnemann have imagined that you could hurtle your way through the sky and land in the other side of the well, world? No, okay, hours? so now that, I mean, but that's getting to the point. Right. Because there are, at what point do we start to compromise? And of course, and of course, is the reality that there are plenty of folks um, who live to ripe old ages, who you know, uh, drink their weight in whiskey and um, smoke a ton of cigarettes and eat Vegemite sandwiches. You know, there's plenty of examples of folks that have good, wholesome, long lives, where perhaps you know. But I suppose even that can be rationalised to genetics and to susceptibility. But the point that I'm making is that are we past a point by which we can say or encourage everybody to look for nature for their health solutions? Are there too many folks? I don't, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Oh, no, that's not what he's saying. Oh, okay. No, but that's what I'm saying. Because yeah. with, you know, whatever billion number of folks in, let's say, a small amount of space like uh, India or right. in China right. or in Indonesia... We've got to such pressures of population right. where though our ideas of nature and natural health are somewhat privileged, are somewhat um, perhaps, you know, uh, un- unattainable to a, a, a massive right. proportion of, a, so I wonder, of a population. You know, it's interesting, and this is, I don't know if I could say this in a way that's going to make sense, but if you, what you're saying is making me think about sort of the arc, the trajectory of sort of the expansion of, of civilization and technology and everything that it does for us, that it's almost necessary that the arc of technology go along with it because those two things are inextricably combined. You get into the nuclear age along with nuclear medicine. Like one discovery has its counterbalance of discovery. Completely. Yeah. But it's the same argument that you hear about 5G or the same argument you hear about um, uh, GMO products. It's like GMO has the capacity to feed the world's population. Right. But it enti- right. entails <laughs> genetic modification. Oh, my gosh. Right. 5G enables us to communicate with each other like this from different right. sides of the world. But, you know, at what cost? Yeah. You know, and, I'm, you know, we can go into all sorts of controversies yeah. just on those two points alone. But you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, is 100%. That, um, there, there's a, I, 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 I've heard and integrated the comment that organic food to focus and to live one's life and eat organically is selfish, mm-hmm. you know, cause that is expensive 
and unavailable and unsustainable for some folks. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, totally. So put all of that together, and I think I'm just sort of landing in this place of, of, of you know, health is a, maybe just health and having the capacity to live a, a healthful life mm-hmm. is an absolute privilege. Mm-hmm. You've got to be grateful for it every day. Oh, my gosh, it's totally true. Mm. And, and, and along the way, if we just kind of, as we wrap up, talk about where Hahnemann was going, because I think it's this idea that he's saying he's carving out a really narrow slice of the scientific pie. In other words, what he's saying is um, it, there Actually, he says it here in um, another part of the introduction where he says, without failing to recognize the merits which many physicians have earned in the sciences that are auxiliary to medicine, the natural sciences of physics and chemistry and the different branches of natural history, particularly that relating to human beings and anthropology, physiology, anatomy, etc., I am dealing here only with the practical art of medicine, with cure itself, in order to show how diseases up until now were imperfectly treated. Okay? Mm. And so... It's, I think that, that that idea that homeopathy is a system that was developed in harmony with the laws of the universe, not just nature, right, but the laws of the universe. And this is where, you know, this idea of Hahnemann solved a really big problem, but he did so. He died at the point where everything in the reductionistic allopathic biomedical world took off Mm. you know and as i've said in in many of my talks you you can't unscramble that egg or you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube or whatever metaphor you want to use biomedicine that reductionistic paradigm is is now inherently baked into homeopathy and how it's practiced Mm. right but at the end of the day to go back and to really just kind of think about what was hahnemann trying to say and where was he going Right, where was he headed with it? I think is what we sort of need to collectively do in order to take it further. Well, as I noodle on the things that I noodle on, <laughs> gosh, where's this going? No, it's just noodle you know man. the types of questions that I have that interest me and that you know in my quiet moments that I chew on and 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 try and work out. Hahnemann is still relevant. You know, he's, he's, he generally provides guidance or a, a historic precedent. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Mm. I'm really impressed the way you um, have got me to think about the preface and the introduction to the organon. <laughs> Thanks. No worries. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. That, that's, I, I always start the organon from aphorism one. That, that introduction is tough. For me. Really? Yeah. See, I, and I wonder if part of, you know, just the training I underwent in my, you know, studies of, be, of, of being a historian of medicine, hmm. you know, I, I'd like, oh, I just threw in a, a like. Did you hear that? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I can't, um, I, I'm, it changed, it changed everything about the way that I interact with homeopathy because you, you can't sort of learn the contextual arrangement of everything and, and still have a hagiographic or hagiographic view of Hahnemann. In other words, we can't sort of just turn him into some sort of infallible saint without seeing him in context because not to, not to take away from who Hahnemann is, right, and to elevate him, but to say 
he was a he was a product of his time which means that the arguments that he was making were relative to what was happening then but also he was influenced by so many um factors and and so much of his you know uh his incredible polymath genius is is baked into it mm. anyway that's it for the jet lag version of stranger and peculiar peculiar strange and rare yeah yeah um all right good stuff let's do another one all right what now no not now you need to rest okay okay all right everybody we'll talk to you soon see ya the academy of homeopathy education offers clinical training that far exceeds the requirements put forth by the council of homeopathic certification and achina unlike other programs that give credit for paper or pre-recorded video cases AHE has built a thriving telehealth clinic with clients of all ages and from all walks of life to give a diverse clinical experience that addresses the most prevalent 21st century health challenges. Standalone clinical training packages are available for qualified practitioners. Learn more at ahe.online.